What's good, what's good, it's the Papino Podcast, the one with me, Vita Morales, the one in which I give you musical discussions and recommendations straight to the eardrums, the official podcast of the band King Lobster Crew. And today we're going to have some fun. We are doing The Merman uh, from 1995, live at the Haunted House. And yeah, it's a really great album. Let me pull out my notes here. Um, basically, this album compiles a handful of live sessions that uh, was that were recorded on KFJC eighty nine point seven FM by Phil Dirt, who used to host live sessions at that radio station. All tracks were recorded from nineteen ninety one uh, through to nineteen ninety four. And this album features Jim Thomas on guitar, Alan Whiteman on bass, and Martin Jones on drums. The Mermen are a contemporary surf-slash-psychedelic trio that formed in 1989. The band has 13 album releases at the time of recording this episode, usually released in spurts. So they had seven albums from 1989 to 1999 and only two from 2000 to 2010. The other four were released from 2012 to 2019. And the band uh, was originally rooted in the sounds of the 60s, but um, they have since sort of expanded uh, over the decades. So they have dabbled in elements of stoner metal, punk, rockabilly, drone, things like that. And... I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of um, attending a DIY show, particularly where like the band in question is a bit more heavy and everybody is like really into it. Um, but it can, like it, it can be pretty fun. When I was a teenager living on the East Coast, there were a lot of shows like that, and uh, they were usually held at like art galleries or cafes or park lodges or retail stores uh, after hours because of course none of us were old enough to get into bars and if there was an act that was like you know of of age who could play at a bar sometimes the by by virtue of them being like a heavier act um, not all the time or you know maybe they're just too unknown they don't have any connections um, Sometimes it didn't gel well with like the sensibilities of the bookers or um, yeah, any number of reasons why they like would not go to like a more mainstream act uh, venue rather. Um, oh Jesus, you're serious? Sorry, my fire alarm started to go off. Um, where was I? Oh yeah, uh, DIY bands. Um, right, so there was, you know, any number of reasons why like um, a particular DIY band, especially in punk or metal or uh, hardcore, something like that. Um, you know, s- sometimes they just like didn't gel well with more um, with the more mainstream venues and and their gatekeepers. So, uh, oftentimes you had these sort of DIY shows that would take place in like unconventional uh, venues. And what's cool is that, I guess, especially at that time when you're a teenager. Um, you get a little taste of like autonomy in that like you kind of choose so you know either a friend tells you about the show or you see like uh, some hastily put together poster you know telling you a lineup of bands that you've never heard of but like 
you have nothing better to do. So you kind of choose to go of your own volition or like, you know, um, your friends are like, hey, there's this show you want to go. You might not even know anybody there. Um, or maybe like your friend has a friend in the band or something or whatever. But like you kind of end up going and that's like your night out and you've like um, you've like made all the arrangements yourself, like as a teenager or whatever. Maybe you asked your parents to go, but whatever you get a, like a little taste of autonomy where you're just like, wow, like this is kind of cool. Like I'm here with all my friends. That's kind of what this album makes me think of, honestly, um, because it's hard to capture that live off the floor energy into an album, into a recording. And I think that they've done uh, a really good job of, of capturing that. Um, so right before we do any listening, uh, the liner notes actually have a poem. Uh, I'm going to try my best because the font's kind of hard to read, but basically it goes, We are the mermen. Look at us gleam. We have come from the glutch of spleens to save the earth from death and destruction. So listen up, honey, to these instructions. Don't sniff the pam and don't eat pork. Don't go messing with a gun-toting stork. Listen to the merman night and day. Build your house with mud or clay. Erect a fence and jump on through. Christo did, but his scalp turned blue. Now the worms in the garden all sniff glue. And it kind of goes on like that. But uh, <laughs> if you ever get your hands on this album, uh, take a take a reading for yourself. If you can't find it, then I'll, I'll do the whole thing in some other episode. <laughs> um... Because actually, I th- I do think that that album, at least in physical copy, is um is a bit rare from what I from what I understand. At least like when I bought it, I think there was like a little sticker saying like rare recording, something like that. Let's see if we check on their uh, website. Yeah, okay, CD sold out. Um, but I'm sure there must be somewhere to get it. I swear I'm not doing this to flex on you. I just wanted to ascertain whether or not it's um, an easy thing to find. Uh, so, yeah, as you can see, February 1st, 1995, produced by Phil Dirt and the Merman and engineered by Phil Dirt live on KFJC-FM. That's, I wonder if that's a stage name. It's Phil Dirt. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's start to uh, to listen to some of the tracks in question. And um, the first one that I want to uh, sort of show off or give the spotlight to is uh, Honey Bomb. Um, So in music, oftentimes, you know, we say that repetition legitimizes. And no, I'm not ripping that off of Adam Neely, even, you know, he does say that a lot. And it's true. And I guess I'll say it again here. Like, it's very true. Um, The bass and the guitar are always coming back to like the same riff and uh it comes back throughout i think even the drummer starts playing the same groove whenever the main riff comes back so all that together if you heard it once you were like you could be like oh that's cool but like the fact that it keeps coming back you're like ah that's cool um because you have enough time to actually uh you know put it into memory that like oh that's that's the main riff um what else? The tom tone uh, sounds very garage rock on this uh, on this track. 
um, it's tuned in a way that really sticks out and, you know, <laughs> it borders on being like kind of a bad tom tone, but like it really works for this context, I feel. And um, yeah, like it's just so raw that it sounds good. <laughs> um, all the instruments take up the, the right amount of space, uh, which is supremely important in a, in a power trio. Um, I think that the bass could have been even more present, just a little bit, but but not by much. It, it didn't miss the mark by much. Um, it's good to hear a few bass fills as well, um, because surf rock tends to kind of relegate the bass players to the sidelines a lot, where they're just sort of <laughs> playing <laughs> root notes the whole time, just kind of being like, yep, I'm a bass player. Um, so it's cool that, you know, Especially in a power trio, I guess you don't have much of a choice, but like, I, I guess the the conventions of the genre would be like, you know, let's relegate the bass player to just laying everything down and not doing much. But here, obviously, you get a little more freedom. Um, so it's good that they did that. Because if they did not, then this band would probably sound uh, kind of empty. So really good use of guitar textures um, from like the fuzz pedal uh, slide guitar. It must have been wild being there live because it it really does sound like everyone's laying into it quite heavy. Um, you can hear a sort of like cracking quality in the rim shots of the drum that, that are only kept at bay by a compressor, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, without me rambling about it, let's, um, let's listen to it. So that that happens a lot in this song. They they start playing the main sort of riff, and then they do something else, and then they always come back to it. And then uh, there's sort of like an extended, uh, I guess you call it a solo, um, more of a textural solo where like he starts playing with slide guitar. And anyway, they go off on a whole thing. I don't know if you've ever watched that Futurama episode where uh, Bender plays with Beck, but he's like, "Thanks, man." That song doesn't usually last three hours, but then we got into a thing, and then I forgot how it ended. <laughs> I feel like Honey Bomb definitely has the potential to like go in that direction, but uh, on the album, they kept it to uh, six minutes. But I could definitely see them just like going off on these extended solos and then coming back to... Kind of glad they didn't, because I feel like, especially on a recording, that would get kind of stale. But live? <laughs> Man, buddy. People would be moshing for days. Uh, the next song I wanted to talk about was uh, My Black Bag. So this one's pretty drony, very stoner metal-y. Um, I kind of wish that they had not laid into the flat two to one movement, especially like like F to E. Uh, it's kind of obvious, I guess, for surf rock on a guitar that's in standard tuning. Um, I don't know. I guess at this point it's just because I've heard a lot of it and I'm like, eh, okay. Um, but obviously it's a staple of the style. Um, but at the very least, they gave you a little more like timbral considerations where like, 
okay, at least the tone of the guitar and the bass and the drums or whatever is like kind of dissimilar. You know, it's not super similar to something that you would have heard in the 60s by virtue of it being, you know, heavier. And um, yeah, I think that they and less reverb, too. So uh, at least they did that. Uh, it's a great moshing song, though. And um, just when you start to get a little tired of it, they give you a bit of a breather in the next tune. So uh, this is my black bag. get into the bread and butter of it it sounds something like this oh, wait <laughs> that's still the extended intro hold on so the line from you know surf to i guess punk to metal to stoner metal kind of gets blurred with this band obviously they're using elements from everything to sort of um create their own brand of uh i don't know what you even call it like uh stoner surf surf punk so just when you're getting tired of um i guess moshing songs um you get glutch of uh gulch of spleens which Sounds like it would be heavier, but it is not. Uh, just wanted to kind of point out the um obviously the clean guitar tone so that's a bit of a contrast from what we were hearing before uh there are other tunes that he's using a cleaner guitar tone as well but um obviously it's a nice contrast we have also some melodic bass fills uh that you likely heard um so what i appreciate about that again is that like this is a power trio so you know you have to be conscious about how much space you're going to take up. And when you're so few, the space you tend to take up is more, not less than uh, anything like a four piece, five piece, um, etc. Probably goes without saying, but like, if you don't, if you're not, um, if you don't have the confidence to sort of like say like, yes, and take up the space that's required, um your band could fall a little flat in terms of like excitement uh energy whatever you want to call it 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 just tends to to be better if you're few people and you actually uh take up or if you're a little if you are confident anyway so yeah let's keep listening Thank you. 
Um, this is nice, actually. Like it, the halftime beat, everything else, um, it leaves some space. Uh, it leaves, so it's not so dense, um, which is nice. Uh, it's a great contrast. There's uh, another point too, where like the guitar starts actually sort of strumming in a more, I guess you could call it, like more in line with like funk. Uh, find it anyway but there are also moments in the song where actually they build up to something heavier and they come back down uh they contrast their dynamics uh in quick succession which is uh you know variety is the spice of life and when you're playing instrumental music you don't have the luxury of shoehorning well, maybe not even shoehorning, but like getting across some kind of lyrical content, getting across, you know, um, your vocal timbre to, to an audience. So everything has to be done on the instruments, which can be a tall order sometimes if you don't, um, if, if you don't have like a, a clear vision of what you want to do. It's not enough often, uh, oftentimes to just sort of be like, I have this cool riff you play the drums and you play the bass and let's play loud for six minutes. Like there are some bands that do it. I know that I have a hard time sitting down and just listening to that for, you know, even something like three, four minutes, if it's the only thing that's happening. So it's good and smart that they start off clean with like a, you know, not so loud and then, rise into it, come back down, uh, change up the textures. So it was like a halftime drum feel instead um, of the bread and butter. Like, So that's good on their part. Um, and it's even better, it's even better in, in instrumental music if you can actually invoke an image for somebody. Or you could go as far as writing a, like programmable music where like the music stands as a representation for something else. But then again, to get that across, you'd probably have to write it in the liner notes and be like, this music is meant to represent a river on a Sunday evening with a turtle swimming through it. Like, usually, if you're going to go in that direction, you'd have to sort of like say quite plainly what it means. And then when people listen to it, they already have that image in mind. So they're waiting for the music to sort of like match the image that you've told them that it's supposed to represent. So th th in that way, you can kind of hook people into, but otherwise it's difficult if you're not, if you're not carefully crafting your, your composition, I think. Um, so well done. Uh, the Merman on Gulch of Spleens because the name kind of threw me off too. I was like, okay, I bet this is heavy. And then it wasn't so heavy. So um yeah that's all really that's all i really wanted to say about this album so go and listen to it and i'll catch you next time with another recommendation